0: Radio TRO is in search of sponsors. Sponsors get a detailed product mention at the beginning of every episode in our catalog. You can submit your own advertisement or we can read one for you. Visit email.tro.bike and contact us directly to learn more.
1: Hey folks, Maggie Dean here, just reaching out to tell you about a couple of great tours we have coming up. One is for the newbies and the other for the seasoned Curve Carvers. If you're new to motorcycle touring, check out the LMCT, Lake Michigan Circle Tour, which takes place from Sunday, July 14th to Saturday, July 20th. It's a beginner-friendly, scenic bike tour around Lake Michigan with all the planning and organizing done for you. It's ideal for couples, three-wheel riders, and small groups. It offers a balanced mix of fun curves, beautiful scenery, and rest stops. If you've always wanted to go on a small group motorcycle tour but have yet to do so, this tour is for you. And for all you rabid, twisty travelers, check out T.R.O.'s Wisco Disco Tour. Based in Wisconsin, this tour is perfect for experienced riders visiting as much of the Driftless area as possible over three days. Our well-vetted routes are pre-planned, so just take the time off and join us. It's a great opportunity to ride in an intimate setting away from the solo digital world. T.R.O.'s Wisco Disco Tour launches Wednesday, August 7th, and concludes Sunday, August 11th Again That's two tours approaching Visit TRO.bike Mouse over events And select Group tours To learn more
2: Hello everybody This is Travis Burleson I'm Robin Dean And this is the RidingObsession.com podcast Uh it was fine. Same old, made some beer. Waited for my uh BMW parts have shipped to put the F650 back together. I like beer. Yeah, it'll, you can come over and drink some in a month when it's ready to drink.
0: Is there a particular uh flavor to this brew?
2: Uh it's an amber.
0: Amber ale. All right.
2: Yeah, and I might make a stout later today if I feel like it. Otherwise I might pull the carbs on the on the CB1000. <laughs> Priorities, man. Beer or carburetors on it. Either way, there's like hoses and stuff. Column A,
0: column B, porters, stout, you're speaking my language, motorcycles, carburetors, things I like. Well
2: what else? Oh, you know, that's it. <laughs> nothing nothing new over at uh in the house front here. Just uh, you know, walking the dog and griping about the neighbors who don't scrape the ice off their sidewalk.
0: Yeah, at least the weather's a little bit better. It's a little bit rainy, but at least it's not as cold.
2: Yeah, until the rain starts freezing later tonight.
0: Oh, that'll be fantastic. Ice biking in the streets. Well, believe it or not, I've been getting in shape. I'm starting to hit the gym again because I want to be in better shape for next year's riding season, considering all the miles I plan on
2: covering. I've just been doing pint curls.
0: Pint curls. Very healthy mentally.
2: Yeah, it's good. It's it's a good because the resistance, you know, they get lighter as you go through. So it's a good uh, paced out uh, workout.
0: Nice. Well, I finally almost got the entire oil leak for the bandit resolved. Um, Finding a leak is a lot harder when it's in multiple locations. Uh, So in this case, I had a leak in the oil pan, a leak in the shift shaft seal, and also a leak at the alternator where the O-ring failed. And all of those... (laughs) I thought, oh, I've got an oil leak. Maybe I could write an article about how you find one, you know, the baby powder trick and all that stuff. And it turns out three locations, no joke, three locations. Mm-hmm. Really, the oil pan leak was nothing more than a washer. So there was some argumentation on the forums about whether or not the washers were rubberized to seal, you know, seal the oil in. And it turns out they are. I questioned that and everybody said, no, they aren't. And then I pulled it and then lo and behold, I see this little black layer. So I get a little bit of... uh was it called Permatex Blue? Took care
2: of the problem. RTV silicone, high temp silicone.
0: Yeah. So pretty soon here, I'm gonna be able to take care of that issue. So okay, there's the carburetors, there's beer, there's oil leaks,
2: and I think that pretty much sums everything up. Yeah, and in BMW parts, like two hundred and twenty-five dollars. I think we talked about that last week. That's how much they cost. Dead, dead on. Nope, no pennies with shipping
0: exactly $225 so some guy on a street corner was like uh dude two, yeah $225 that's what I, yeah you know r- yeah, r- around it was about really that like a
2: head gasket and a cylinder gasket and a case gasket and this bearing and these washers yeah
0: $225 bucks whatever you know i mean it cost me 50 but yeah it'll work out well let's move on to updated site features and developments um end user gui geekery and such people may have noticed a The site being down to some degree, or at least less functional for a short minute there, because uh, I woke up one morning and I found a bunch of 500 errors. Effectively, the service provider we were using decided to uh, take it upon themselves to alter some of the code because of bandwidth usage. And as a result, they broke some of the things that were operating on the site. I'm not going to rant too long in the negative about them, but let's just say that their name rhymes with ghost hater. And I no longer subscribe to their services. We are no longer on their servers. We've moved over to a much better server. Uh, I'm going to be advising, based on my recent experience with this new server that I absolutely love, that most of my clients that I do any web development for, they're going to want to move over to this server as well. You know, the GUI is a little bit more hairy, but I dig it. At any rate, once everything was back uh, in place and the site was brought back, I started working on the weather page again, which I hope everybody will start putting to use once the seasonal winter comes to an end most importantly i build these kind of things for myself and then once it's built for me personally greedy style then i start to set everything up so that people can tweak them to their own preferences so if you want to be able to do that you just visit the riding forward slash motorcycle dash weather soon you'll be able to adjust the settings to your preference based on signing up for an account and if you sign up for an account with the site you'll be able to uh update maintenance logs and other features yet to be discussed. Also, our calendar, I got in touch with Sport Bike Track Time and asked if they had an online schedule available that we could implement on the server. So, if you check out our events calendar, the calendar view up there in the navigation, you'll actually be able to see all of their upcoming track days or track events. So, thank you to Sport Bike Track Time for making that available to us. Another thing I intend to add to the podcast for the site is a transcriber which I think will be both funny and entertaining as well as necessary. Uh, so some of our articles will literally be the transcription of these podcasts <laughs> in their raw form. I'm looking forward to seeing that, how that turns out. And now on to post-ride topics. Travis, what's interesting to you this week? What has
2: inspired you in motorcycling? It's funny you should mention track days. Uh, it came up the other day with, with my lovely wife. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how it came up. And she was saying to me how she's not really interested in doing track days, which is fine. I don't push her to do anything she doesn't want to do. I was that way when she started riding. And I said, if you want to take the class and learn and you don't like it, that's fine. You can ride with me on the back and that's fine. And you don't have to ride your own. And then she took the class and she liked it. And then she said, I don't really want to do track days. That's fine. But then we got lunch with our friend Kathy, who you've met, who's a rider yeah, and uh, we got lunch with her the other day, and Kathy <laughs> said to Laurel, "Hey, do you want to do a track day?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and maybe convinced her a little bit. So uh, I'm not going to push her to do it. I d- I definitely want to do one uh, this season since I haven't done one yet. It's more just a matter of scheduling and and funds, but uh, should be should be interesting. And We'll see how the Buell does on a on a track day. It doesn't really have a whole lot of uh, lean clearance, but I, I I think the experience would be would be fun for her. I mean, I've definitely gotten a toe touching on the Buell in the roundabout. You got toe touching on the big one, too. Yeah, I think the hill helped me a little bit on that. It was an uphill left-hander.
0: Yeah, there's no leaving a track day not being a better rider. A track day is a great way to become a better rider. A safer rider, you learn a lot of techniques that are beyond the basics. I mean, you take the basic motorcycle course, yes, you learn a lot. Motorcycle safety is... The priority with that class. But that doesn't change with a track day. Track day isn't about going to a track and going crazy. It's a safe opportunity to explore your limits while learning about techniques and motorcycling previously unknown to you. We actually offer a downloadable introspective pamphlet on the site. Uh, it's free if you look it up. If you go to the site and you type into the search box, motorcycle track day, you'll see three entries. One is an experience perspective written by Joe Nardi. The other after that is the Beginner's Perspective, written by yours truly. And then there's a third that is the Intermediate Perspective, written by a man who likes to stay in the shadows, and I won't mention his name. Um, But I highly recommend that you go to the site and look that up. And if you really want to help the site out, then if you click on the store, our three perspective track day write-up is available for purchase there, and it helps us out with the funds and such. But yeah, it's like a track day is a great thing. I actually just got invited by Joe Nardi to go on a long-distance dirt sport touring trip. Uh, you know, hard luggage, long distance, about a thousand miles, all Colorado. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do that because we've already scheduled so much this year, but man, I mean, the idea of it, we don't have enough dirt on the site for the sport touring genre. I sure would like to do that. And it's something I look forward to doing that I've never done. And I'd like to learn from that as well.
2: Is he going to loan you a bike for that? Nope. Are you going to take the bandit down dirt? I'm not going. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd have to get all new gear. It's a whole different, a whole different bike, outfit. Oh yeah, because you, your outfit matters.
0: No, you got it. It's a different boot setup. It's different gear.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you want probably motocross or you want dirt boots for the support for standing, but otherwise, you don't really need. A, you don't need a different jacket.
0: It's the armor that really gets me. It's like I'd have to do some investing.
2: Yeah, depends how much you plan on falling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What else is new? Um. Yeah, I mentioned the. I went to the store today and got the O ring and gasket set for the carburetors for the CB one thousand big one. Yeah, it just you know I, when I bought it this summer, I wasn't sure how long I'm going to keep it, and then I've just been sinking money into it since then, <laughs> making it <laughs> kind of making it mine. And so I think I'll keep it at least for another season because it, it it's fun and it's a cool bike, but it doesn't run as well as I think it should. So I'm going to pull the carburetors off here while it's snowy and icy out. And just blast them full of carb cleaner, maybe do a chem dip, replace all the rubber, maybe rejet it. I have to do some more research on, on jets for that. But typically, bikes from the 90s that are carbureted are carbureted very lean to meet uh, the emission requirements for manufacture and run significantly better if you bump up the jets, one or two.
0: Oh, nice. So then, would you really consider that bike to be semi-universal in a lot of ways? Is it fairly is it generic enough that it's comfortable to work on and consider as a as a regular ride
2: Yeah, I mean, if you can find one, they only sold them in the US for 2 years. Uh, so they're a little harder to find. It's a, CB1, a CBR 1000 motor with different carburetors and different cams. Um but yeah, it's a, it's basically a UJM from the 90s. It was a it was a a retro bike, a modern it was a modern retro That was built in the mid-90s. So it was a a 90s bike that was supposed to be like a throwback 80s bike, but it was liquid-cooled and four-stroke and had a vacuum petcock and CV carbs.
0: Yeah, that's what caters to my question is whether or not, if there were ever a problem with any of its stock parts, would it be easier to fabricate or sort of improvise parts for as compared to something else that's a little bit more geometrically uh, exclusive, for lack of a better term?
2: No, it's it's a naked bike. It's yeah. a, so you can bolt... It's easy to bolt stuff on. Uh, I have seen on the forums and the Facebook group guys who welded in hard luggage mounts. As far as I know, there isn't a manufacturer making hard luggage for that bike, but I've seen them with hard luggage, and it's it's an all-steel double-cradle frame. So you can basically do whatever you want to it, and it's all one piece. So there's, you know, it's one of those... When we when we took the BMW apart and dropped the engine out of it and you take the subframe off and you look at the frame, air quotes frame, it doesn't look like a motorcycle. It just looks like a like a chunk of aluminum. Um but you know the C B when you take the frame off looks like a motorcycle <laughs> still, like the frame looks like a so it's it's a basic sort of bike. And the, the engine was in different models, so it's always you can always get engine stuff. You can actually swap because it has eighteen inch wheels front and rear. And some guys want to put 17s on. Does that work? Yeah, there's a couple of different other Honda models that are just a direct swap out.
0: Oh, wow. Nice. Well, whatever your winter projects are, you know, there's also the little stuff. Don't forget the little techno maintenance bits, such as communicator batteries. Um, I started thinking about how I've put up the helmets and I left my Senas on there and they've fully discharged. That won't be good come beginning of the season. So I brought everything up and charged those up and little things like that
2: yeah those lithium batteries you don't want you wouldn't want to store them with a full charge on them and then maybe go ahead and 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 pop them in and top them up uh you know once a month once every other month uh depending on how long you're off of them to keep those lithium batteries working right
0: and i got to tell you you're not alone in the winter projects area i've got that oil leak that i still got to target with the bandit i got to replace its brake pads uh there's a taillight flicker and one of the led bulbs that i ordered from super bright I feel like they owe me one on that. I plan on uh, bed the oil cooler shield. I got to lubricate the ca- cables. It's time for me to get a deer whistle. That's just been... De- I have a. I have an open threaded slot on the left front of my bike that's just waiting for a deer whistle. It'd be obscure. It would look fine. There'd be no problem. I, and I haven't done it. I don't know why. Uh, and then I, also, you've done this before. I want to light my Shad SH-45 top case. I want to actually install LEDs on it. And I keep thinking of Inventive ways because the reflector system is embedded both into the top lid, mostly into the top lid, but also two little segments on the bottom, and I want the whole thing lit. So I've been thinking of ways to like install a connector that when it's shut, it will actually complete the circuit, allowing it to you know, do such.
2: I would say just use the KISS method, man. Just keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. Just have a little, a little wire <laughs> in the back of that case isn't going to get in the way.
0: Yeah. But it that does it doesn't end there. I mean, I've got we got four bikes in the garage. So with my wife's first bike or starter bike, the, you know, Nighthawk two fifty, i just, you know, I gotta replace a seal, get a special tool for that, and then onto the Hawk G T, which is I mean, I've been ranting all this moment about the bandit and that little bike. My actual winter winter project is the Hawk G T. You know, any the valves, I'm gonna put in tank sealer, the fuel pump, you know, throttle cables, uh, front, the rubber on the front left tank that holds it up is gone. Uh, the airbox hose, we actually did pretty good with that. The exhaust gasket, the cam mounts, the carburetor needs checked. Getting a fender eliminator, acorn bolt for the gauges, foot pegs are rusted out, steering head rollers are kind of going bad, the seat bracket, hole in the front of the engine case, front sprocket, replace the coolant, change the oil, buff the plastic der- that's it, man, it's, it, it, that's what I want to be working on, but I still got to get through the flagship bike first.
2: Yeah, keep on your your main main ride. Well, that's what I got. I mean, yeah, you know, said so the big one's serviceable. I took the I took the Buell out the other day though. Yeah. My wife's Buell blast. Yeah, there was supposed to be a bike night at the uh, the cycle gear near me. Okay. And I I showed up and the two guys were like you're the third person that's been in here all day. We're not doing anything. <laughs> I said like, okay, but it was good. I, was, I dropped it on the ice on the road. Like I turned on one of the little neighborhood roads. Yeah. And it was just. Glare—it was just glare ice, packed snow that was glare ice. Wow! And um, like my neighborhood roads, kind of like that in spots, but not all over. And I was fine, you know, because that bike's so light. Never mind. You is the bike all right? Oh, bike's fine. Those good. They they made those bikes to get dropped.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah,
2: yeah. I was it was fine, but it was funny on the ice, man. It was just—I mean, I was crawling. I was feathering the clutch in first gear, you know, both feet on the ground, like sliding on the ice, and then the (laughs) the front end just went. <laughs> and I stepped. I just stepped off. Hey, man, are you reading anything these days? I'm still trying to force my way through Zen in the Art. It's just, it's not interesting.
0: It's a great book. I don't know what you're talking about, people.
2: It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a book about philosophy and not a book about motorcycles.
0: People should know that before they start. They need to know that. I don't think that enough people that have read the book have explained that to them because it's really kind of a book for non-motorcyclists.
2: Yeah, and I and I'm not. I'm not big on capital P philosophy, and it's capital P philosophy.
0: Well, when was it written?
2: Why? I, (laughs) Why?
0: (laughs) When the book was written, it was answering questions that needed to be answered, and then once those questions were answered, everyone has decided that that's already been done, and so when they go to read this book that was written some time ago, they see it as though they're reading it in a cliche environment where at the time this, this was new and a really great concept and wasn't intended to be about motorcycle maintenance as so much as it is trying to simplify your approach to life by comparison to things you would do while working on a motorcycle or anything mechanical.
2: Yeah. There's a, there's a metaphor in there.
0: Yeah. It's so Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance
2: by Robert M.
0: Persig. Travis says it's probably his favorite book of the year. <laughs> 2016 podcast episode one. What about uh, Jupiter's Travels? You're gonna have to get through that to, to earn. You have to earn the right to read Jupiter's Travels by getting through Zen and the Art of.
2: I'll slog through Zen and the Art and then go through. Uh, I actually I do want to read Jupiter's Travels. And you are you through it? Have you finished it? I finished it, and you know I've heard some
0: of my friends had said that. Once he gets three-fourths of the way through, they felt it got a little bit slow, and I completely disagree. Uh, There's a lot of chaos and difficulty that happens in the -the three-quarters-of-the-way journey section. But Jupiter's Travel is basically a book by Ted Simon, which narrates his four-year journey through 126,000 kilometers across 45 countries on a Triumph Tiger in 1976, I believe. Maybe Maybe it started in 1974. That's the year I was born. And he goes, it takes him four to six years on a five, on a 500 CC bike that is just loaded to the gills. It says 1973 to 1977 here.
2: On a 500 CC classic British.
0: Triumph. Yeah.
2: I'm not like, not the new triumph tiger adventure bike. Like no, like a heavy steel lump of British iron. Yeah. During the seventies, man. With no suspension and no internet and bad carburetors and a distributor. and
0: Yeah. It, I mean, it's hectic. And, it, In the time from when he starts to the time when he finishes, I'm not giving anything away with this, but the staff and the management at the newspaper that he's reporting to changes a couple of times. So now and then, they wonder why he's even part of the scheme. They're upset about him existing, you know, the funding and all that stuff. It's pretty crazy. Uh, So, yeah, have a good one with that. And there's one third book that I I read before this um, by Melissa Holbrook Pearson called The Perfect Vehicle. What it is about these motorcycles. Something to that effect. Let me get the exact title here. The Perfect Vehicle. What is it about motorcycles? By Melissa Holbrook Pearson.
2: Yeah, so there's plenty of writing topics there. Also reading uh, Tolkien's translation of Sir Gowan and The Green Knight. Not motorcycle related, just getting my way through it because it's a good uh, wintertime Christmas story.
0: If we get a podcast question about that book because you just said that, I'm going to be enormously
2: upset. Hey, some people really like Tolkien. I, I like Gowan the Green Knight. It's a good story. Do you like King Arthur? All
0: right. So two years ago, we rode from Chicago to Portland and back.
2: Portland, Oregon.
0: Portland, Oregon. Now it's time to figure out a way to do the opposite. East Coast, Chicago to Portland, Maine, and home. And I want to do it the longest way possible. And this time-
2: We're going to go west. We're going to call it Long Way Round. <laughs>
0: My biggest concern is twisties. I want twisty roads. Obviously, you can't have what you want all the time. (laughs) Nebraska. But effectively a lot of the roads we took, they were beautiful and some of them were main drags. I think we should out we should research the different roads that are available that are a little bit less traveled, twisty, curvy, sweepers, speed, happiness, all the stuff we love.
2: Yeah, which is gonna be easier going east from the Midwest because you have the Appalachian ranges there. Um, You know, the hills in Kentucky. You, you, there's no, there's, well, I mean, there's Indiana, which is kind of the Nebraska of uh, uh, this side of the Mississippi. You know, what are you going to do in Nebraska, the Dakotas? There's, you don't have an option, but I think going east, there's more options.
0: Let's look at it this way. We just need to consider what cities do we want to use as peg points so that we can at least for today, all we have to do is get the expressway backup route started. So all we want to know, is where
2: are we bouncing to. And if
0: I remember correctly,
2: we want to do the Blue Ridge Parkway. Yeah, the main it's main stopping point. So you lay out, you know, pick some some places where you're going to get a hotel, where you're going to be ga- where there's going to be gas, where there's going to be a shop if you need one. I think this
0: year will be much better for camping. We're seasoned to it. We both know how to do it. And I think we can save a lot of money doing it that way. And
2: a lot less Nebraska.
0: A lot less Nebraska. Folks, we have an entire list of things that we would bring on a camping trip. That's about to be altered significantly. Uh, based on our experience last time for more compact usability and such well here's my thought: if we can get right to the twisties, we should get right to the twisties, meaning where are the nearest not flat roads, it's not gonna be less than three to five hours away from where we ever we decide is the starting point, but we we can at least point to that and then stay twisty throughout and my thought is that. The first place we want to end up would be perhaps
2: Western Tennessee. Yeah. Depending. There's a couple ways you can approach that. I know I've heard good things about Southern Indiana. Oh yeah. But it might be best to just slam down the state of Illinois and then get to the hills there that are in the, you know, the Tennessee, Kentucky sort of region, which is Southern Indiana as well. Yes. Even if you just look at the Google Maps satellite images, uh, which we have up here, you can see where it goes from flat to hilly. You can see the the difference in terrain, and if it's hilly, it's harder to build straight roads.
0: Things start to get nicer around Shawnee National Forest, just west of the Kentucky border.
2: Yeah, Shawnee is Shawnee's one of that's why my, uh, my wife uh, she very she enjoys that that part of the the country. We could start there and then head diagonally down towards yeah, so go aim for Carbondale, which is in southern Illinois. I actually have some friends in Carbondale. Uh, and then kind of shoot towards Nashville. Mhm. I like it.
0: Let me do that first. <clears throat> so let's say our starting point will be Chicago, Illinois. I'm typing that into ridewithgps.com. I like using their service and hitting go. Do you want this to be your start point? Yes, I do. And from there We now have one pinpoint. So Now I'm going to type in where? Carbondale?
2: Carbondale, Illinois, which is southern southern Illinois, where Southern Illinois University is. Home of the Salukis.
0: Do we want to avoid highways or go ahead and create an expressways route first?
2: Middle Illinois is boring. Maybe expressways. I like your style.
0: All right. Now we've routed to that location. And from here... We're just creating the expressway route and creating connect the dots with the cities. From here, we want to get to Nashville, Tennessee. And there we go. Now we've routed to there. So that's Chicago to Carbondale to Nashville. From Nashville, I'd say we should get to Chattanooga.
2: I hear tell there's some sort of choo-choo solution.
0: (laughs) And then from Chattanooga, we want to head direct to Etowa, Typing that into Ride with GPS, hitting go. Do you want to route to this point?
2: I sure do. And You can tell here even with, uh, you know, basically the most direct route the it doesn't make a a straight B line there's no because you have to go over the Appalachian mountains that's a good sign
0: yes and this is again an expressway route this is the I'm exhausted we're behind schedule we got to get there expressway gun it we're done quick route after this we'll create a non-expressways route which is Similar in efficiency, perhaps an hour or so slower, depending on how much you ride in a day. And after that, we'll do pure twisties, which will take the most time. We're going to do an entire show dedicated to that, folks. So be ready for that one. It'll be an hour of hectic communication, and possibly we'll give you a video feed.
2: Yeah, but that's a good a good start look at planning the route.
0: Yes. I'm going to hit save. We're going to call this Tro 2016. And then we'll keep this one as private and Say close.
2: And you can see on the elevation changes there when we go from Chattanooga to Etowah, the ev- the elevation starts spiking. <laughs> you know, That's going to be fun, man. You start hitting the mountains.
0: Now, I've ridden the Blue Ridge Parkway. It's a fine, fine experience. <laughs> Seriously.
2: Now we're going to take a look at this week's badass prototype slash upstart brought to you by the super slick, ultra badass motorcycle mega posse of incredible power.
0: Dude, you can do better than that. <laughs> Give it, give it some excitement. You're like, now we're going to do that thing. I don't really like this. Hey, Rami, you want to do a podcast? I don't really like this. I don't, I don't know. But Hey, Rami, you want to do a podcast?
2: <laughs> and now we're going to look at this week's badass prototype slash upstart brought to you by the super slick, ultra badass motorcycle mega posse of incredible power. <laughs>
0: The super slick ultra badass motorcycle megapods give incredible power. It's super slick,
2: ultra badass, and
0: incredibly powerful.
2: All you. Uh, so, a friend of ours posted an article here, and I thought it was quite interesting uh, having a BMW motorcycle that's currently in several pieces. <laughs> um, but BMW tend to be at the forefront for, for technology. I remember a couple years ago, uh, they, all, all of their motorcycles, like the base, most basic motorcycle, they all came with heated grips and, and ABS systems. So they were—they were one of the first manufacturers to put ABS systems on their motorcycles, um, and of course, with uh, their newest sort of flagship model, the 1600 LT, the K 1600 LT, uh, you know, they pack as much technology as they can to that. And they al- announced recently that they are going to uh, start testing at least porting over their laser headlight system from their cars. Laser beams. Uh, their laser headlight system that uh, has been developed for the automobiles into. Uh, their touring motorcycles, um, which is really cool. And I had to look it up and, and kind of see what it's about because so it's not like laser beams shooting out of the front of, of your bike. Uh, well, that's
0: not fun, man.
2: Though the lasers will actually start stuff on fire, there are lasers involved and they are powerful enough to ignite flammable materials. <laughs> um, but it's the, the better way to think about it, it's a laser powered headlight. So there's a couple of laser diodes that go through some reflectors and a prism and are focused. Uh, and then the they are shot forward. and then they hit a a phosphor embedded uh, lens, a phosphorus embedded lens. And what happens is when that laser energy hits the the phosphorus, it excites those molecules, and then those glow with a really exceptionally bright white light.
0: so essentially, it's a phosphorus bulb, but the lasers are what's triggering the action.
2: Yeah. So a kind of like um what would be something like a like a fluorescent bulb.
0: Yeah, so it's gas based and well, I mean all light bulbs are sort of gas based, but they have the Yeah,
2: so in a, on a, on a fluorescent bulb, you you send electric electrical current through a a gas mixture and it excites the molecules in the gas tube and then those emit light. Actually, those emit ultraviolet light and then they hit the coating on the inside of the bulb that turns it into white light. Um, so, but instead of electrical current, it's going to be a laser beam that hits this, and it creates this really bright light, and then that shines back backward from the perspective of the driver or the rider, and then hits a, a diffuser reflector, and then 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 it sends it diffused and reflected forward out of out of the the headlight assembly.
0: I was going to say that you need a laser pointer, a pie chart, and a high school biology book to discuss cones and rods, but uh, I think that's moot.
2: Yeah, so but the advantages are it's up to a thousand times brighter than an LED light would be, and consumes somewhere between two-thirds and half the power.
0: A A thousand times brighter.
2: Yes, which is, which is exponential. Like you lose you lose that because like brightness is exponential, but
0: Sure. But then again, you know, there's
2: still the upside to LEDs and the instant on and all the stuff that goes with that. This will be instant on instant off, because it's yeah, the lasers are diodes. They're on and off. It's not. It's not like a xenon where there's a warm up.
0: Sure. So it's almost as though it is similar to the LED concept in that there are many bulbs. No, it's a singular. Yes. Fantastic.
2: Yeah. So um, well, there's like I think in the their design, there's three laser diodes to start with that are then uh, the lights reflected and mixed with a prism, but not a, not an array. Um, okay, it's supposed to be able to light uh, illuminate up to two thousand feet away, which is you know twice at least twice or three times as farther than an LED. Uh, we we'll use less power. Uh, the light temperature, so the color of the light, will be about fifty five hundred to six thousand Kelvin, which is uh, that's like where your good LED xenon bulbs are. That's close to, to daylight color.
0: Yeah, that's going to be really bright on not only the reflection, but refraction. I noticed with the bulb that we tested for the Hawk GT that all of the signs that were illuminated during my test ride at night were brightly, a lot of lumens coming back at you. And it was strange because anything that was non-reflective, I could have used a little bit more. I wanted a little bit more bulb. I wanted a little bit more brightness to that. I wanted to see where I was going a little bit more clearly, but I was satisfied. What was amazing, though, was just that intense daylight look of these glowing signs everywhere. And you're saying this kind of does the same thing.
2: Yeah. So it's that same, that same color temperature, um, you know, high output light. It'll be high beam only. Um, I think obviously, uh, it'll be still be LEDs for the low beam.
0: So for all you oncoming
2: traffickers, you'll get to enjoy a nice sunburn. And also it won't be United States legal because America, America, because we have outdated regulations regarding, uh, well, our highway code and and what can be on and off the road though, with motorcycles sometimes you get away with stuff, but they aren't going to sell them here. So,
0: yeah, you know it's like I wonder what's going to happen when we finally get electric motorcycles that are a regular part of the market. You know how's that going to be treated? You know I'd really like to see an electronic an electric sport tour, a battery operated sport tour. We got to talking about this. There's also the option of natural gas and compressed gas.
2: Yeah, I I haven't really seen one, but there are people out there with standard passenger vehicles who have converted them to compressed natural gas or propane.
0: Yeah, there's also those who have done the at-home version.
2: We were discussing earlier about whether or not that would be feasible on a motorcycle. Propane might be a... The, the trickiest part really is... One like your, your fuel injection system and hacking your ECU to make it work, and then storing the the compressive tank somewhere. Um, yeah, which you know is the, they tend to be bulky, but uh, I think I think you can make it work. I think especially if if, if a manufacturer decided to purpose design a CNG motorcycle, uh, since there there are a lot of. Uh, you know, commercial vehicles.
0: There are entire gas stations devoted to it. I mean, I looked it up in images on Google and, you know, I saw a bus pulling into a pump and it was, they've, they've actually got that available.
2: Yeah. And a lot of municipal services now have switched to compressed natural gas because it's a lot better. So like all their all your garbage trucks and your uh, taxis and your municipal hauling trucks, yard waste cleanup, that sort of stuff we're all running on, on CNG. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for a commuter bike, it, it's, it's better for the environment and it's cheaper than gasoline, and you still get the same kind of power. And it's still an internal combustion engine. Like I said, most internal combustion engines can just be converted with, with minimal effort.
0: This is one of those things where there are so many good ideas happening at once that they conflict with each other in some ways of getting any kind of a hold on them, any kind of a market for future changes. But I still say that I would love to see an electric bike that had what I require of a sport tourer. When I say sport tour, I want something that has what it takes to haul two up, my wife and I, with three parts luggage, full luggage, 250 miles per charge at least. And that just isn't in, it's not in the scheme yet. And I want it. And I think a lot of people want it.
2: Yeah. We were talking too, like, uh, even if you, you know, doubled or tripled the capacity of, of batteries as they are right now today, you know, once you, the problem is, is once you hit that limit, you're done. It takes, you know, 6, 10, 11 hours to charge that battery up. Um, and we were thinking, too, as was, actually what got us on the compressed natural gas is, you know, you have that propane canister that you use for your heater or your, your grill, and you go to the store, and you give them your empty tank, and they give you a full tank, and the format's the same, and you just swap it out, and then that tank gets checked out and serviced and refilled. And it'd be really great to have that in the like a battery pack solution. It's a standard format, and you go to, you know, your gas station, and you pop out your empty battery packs, and they give you fully charged battery packs that are the same format and industry standard. And then you. I
0: think that kind of shell system would be great too, just to. Like you said, standardize it. Then, as the tech develops, there's no need to change the casing. You simply change the guts of it.
2: Yeah, exactly. If you come up with a better, you know, as we went from alkaline to nickel cadmium to nickel metal hydride to lithium to lithium iron, um, you know, lithium polymer battery, you just you change the insides and make it fit the form factor. You know, make it, of course, you know, this is for a vehicle. So it'd be a reasonable size and you'd know, be pretty, pretty. Pretty chunky, so you, you could fit different different form factors in there as as the technology evolved. Yeah,
0: I like that plan. I like the concept of it. Even if they a gas station, quote unquote gas station, could have all of those formats available, having some kind of standardized outfit for it would make it so that there's no need for them to abandon any of them at all.
2: Yeah, and it's just like when you when you go to the, the the propane when you go to the hardware store, if you have uh, whatever American gas. Tank and they have Fred's gas, yeah, and they got like Blue Rhino or whatever. You know, they're a different brand. They'll still swap you out because the tank's the same. It's just the label on the outside. And when you when when they when the company comes to to pick those up, they bring it back to their their facility, take the label off, inspect the tank, make sure it's still safe, refill it, put their label on, and send it back out to go to someone else. And I think you know, there's no reason that you know Shell and BP. And all those companies couldn't start making batteries. And on that note, I want to
0: say thank you for listening. This has been the Writing Obsession Podcast. You can visit us online at http colon forward slash forward slash writing session the obsession net. You can visit us online at the dot com, and this particular episode is sponsored by RLB Hydraulic Services. Big thanks to Rick and his family over there for getting me that O-ring I needed for the alternator on my 2003 second-generation Bandit.
2: That's that's the the second-generation Bandit. Not the the third, not the first.
0: Not the first, not the third. Second-generation.
2: Anything you want to say, Trev? Thanks for listening. Uh, If you have any tips for dropping an output shaft bearing into the engine case on a mid-2000s, uh, rotax engine from a bmw 650 uh, put that in the comments and let me know because i will be doing that shortly
0: <laughs> and also feel free to email your questions or concerns to podcast at the dot that's our episode for this round tune in next time for more discussion on all things specific to sport touring or universal to motorcycling as a whole for the riding i'm robin dean
2: i'm travis burleson
0: safe travels everyone